We're continuing a series called Let's Talk About It today. Let's talk about it. And I said in the last couple of weeks that if you have questions, you can text your questions in. You can still do that. You can text in any questions you might have to 555-888. Just text in GCQA and it'll lead you in how to uh, ask your questions. I want to answer a couple of the questions that came in last week real quick. Is that okay? Okay, first question. Go ahead, throw it up. Uh, If God created everything, who created God? Great question. No one. That's what makes him God. God is he who does not need a creator. He is the creator. That's why he identified himself as the one who was and is and is to come. He always was. He always will be. Next question. I thought heaven was a perfect place, but you said that the Bible says the heavens and the earth will eventually be ruined or something like that. How does that work? (laughs) Great question. I can understand why you might have been a little bit confused. God created the heavens and the earth perfectly, and he said it was good, but sin corrupted everything to some extent. And the Bible tells us that at the end, after Jesus comes back, all of God's people will be removed from the earth, so we'll be safe in heaven. And then God is going to do the ultimate fixer-upper. He's going to destroy the current heaven, the current earth, all the universe. And he's going to recreate it perfectly the way he wants it for us to enjoy for all eternity, free from decay, free from any corruption. Next question. My wife is only 49 and has the deadliest form of breast cancer called triple negative breast cancer. The outlook isn't good, but I know God works miracles. I find myself at times wanting to almost be mad at God for not healing her, but so far I've been able to keep those thoughts at bay. How do I keep these thoughts from coming, or is there a way? The last person I want to be upset with is God. That's a tough question, right? I mean, a lot of people have gone through something like this where you've struggled with sickness or disease. First off, whoever asks that question, our whole church is praying with you. The key is understanding that God will heal all diseases. It's a matter of when. And we have to trust his timing is perfect. He can supernaturally heal now in this instant, or we might have to wait until the end of this life to be finally and fully healed once and for all. Now, what I love about this uh, question is the person who asked it, he caught himself and he said, I don't want to be mad at God. That's the key. See, I think a lot of us have wrestled at times and been tempted to be mad at God. But even though that's a common temptation, it's not something that is actually okay. You can just read the book of Job and see what God says to people who question him and judge him and his decisions. He basically says, don't judge me. I'm God and you're not. And my ways are higher than your ways. And what we have to understand is God is not the person we should be mad at. He's the one we should look to and find comfort in. He's the one who loves us and wants the best for us. If you want to be mad, be mad at disease. Be mad at sin. But love God and know that he loves you as well. Next question. Why is our way right? Other religions think they are right, and their teachings are the most true. So what makes our way the actual truth? Great question. That's actually what I'm going to talk about today. So we'll spend the next few minutes talking about this, and I'll start with this quote that I've kind of shared with you at the beginning of these messages. Here's kind of a condensed version. A a, a guy who was a Christian asked these questions. Time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith, he said, and it doesn't bother me. Lots of things help people change their lives, not just one version of God. Christianity just seems to me like another religion at this point. This this was a guy who was a Christian, and he walked away from his faith, and he shared some sentiments. I've been talking about some of these different sentiments each week. One of the things he said is, 
There seems to be many versions of God. And there's a lot of religions in the world. So what makes us right? So many people in life, I think, are struggling and they feel discontented. And probably like me, you've come to a point where you've been frustrated with the way life is going and you've thought to yourself, it's time for a change. Have you ever felt that way? It's time for a change. And some of you, you started a diet. Some of you started working out. Some of you started pursuing a new career. And then oftentimes, people have pursued religion when they have since it's time for a change. From a theological perspective, all people are separated from God by default due to what the Bible calls our sinful nature. And because God is peace, that means we're separated from peace in our souls. Because God is good, that means we're separated from goodness. Because God is satisfying, that means that we're separated from satisfaction. Because God is all loving, that means we're separated from the love that we all long for. And so people, all people, are trying, whether they realize it or not, to make their way back to God and rediscover the things that only God can give us. So all people, I think, are on that journey and I want to talk about that today. The title of this message is Two Roads, One Way. Two Roads, One Way. Now, in case you don't know a lot about world religions, let me just kind of break them down for you into some general categories. Most of the religions of the world can be broken down into these categories. First, atheism. Atheism is actually a religion, whether atheists realize it or not. They've got faith. They've got moral codes. They believe that mankind is basically God, and it's up to us to use our ingenuity and our brains to make the world as good as it can be. Then there's New Age spiritualism. Uh, followers of this practice, they believe that God is everything and everywhere around us, that all negativity is just an illusion, which when you're going through some difficult things, Try telling yourself it's just an illusion. Like, it's not an illusion. It's actually a difficult situation. Buddhists say there is no God, and they're trying to achieve spiritual enlightenment, and they can achieve that, they teach, through uh, becoming free from all desire, all desire. Now, isn't that funny? God created us to have desires, but Buddhism is trying to escape desire. God says it's good to have desires as long as your desires are for the right things. Hindus, a lot of Hindus in the world, uh, they believe in thousands of gods and uh, reincarnation. They're trying to escape the cycle of reincarnation. Then there's Islam. Islam is the second um, biggest world religion. And it matches a lot of our expectations about religion, that God is this distant, harsh judge who's worshipped through good deeds and disciplined religious rituals. And Islam teaches that after death, a person is rewarded or punished according to their devotion. A lot of Islam stems off of Judaism from the Old Testament. Uh, Muslims believe that their father, so to speak, is Ishmael, the first son of Abraham, who was conceived through Hagar when Abraham got impatient and tried to rush God's promises. He had sex with another woman named Hagar, who wasn't his wife, and he had this son Ishmael, but God's promise was to come through Isaac and his wife Sarah, and that led to this big split that started the second most popular world religion today. Then there's Judaism. Jews follow the Torah and the prophets, uh, we call this writing the Old Testament. And Jews are our closest spiritual relatives as Christians. They have the same God, and we share the same story. The difference between Judaism and Christianity is that Judaism paused the movie about 2,000 years ago, whereas Christianity has watched the end of the movie. 
Christians believe there is one true loving God who created us to know him and live in a relationship with him eternally and that salvation only comes through faith in Jesus. Now, all these religions have values. All of them have disciplines. All of these religions can add meaning to your life, can give a sense of purpose, and can even lead to some kind of inner peace. All of these religions can change you, but only one can save you. These different religions might have similar ideas about how to treat people and be kind to people, but they have very different ideas about who God is and your soul. They can't all be true because they all contradict each other about who God is and life after death and heaven and hell and how to be saved. So people have to evaluate these different religions. They can't all be right. The problem is that most of these religions can't be verified until after you die. And by then, it's too late to figure out that you're wrong. Christianity, though, is based on real historical events that actually took place surrounding the life of Jesus of Nazareth, who we believe really lived and really died and really rose again in first century Israel. And if there's evidence to believe that it's more probable than not that that actually happened, then the search is over. Because if Jesus rose again, then what he said is true, and we know that there's really one way. All of these religions can really be boiled down, though, to two roads, and that's what I want to talk about. Ultimately, both of these roads will lead you to meet God. But the road you pick determines how that meeting will go. You'll either meet your judge or your loving father. Matthew 7, verse 13 says this, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Now, here's what's funny. I get emails sometimes where people complain about things that I say as a pastor. It just kind of goes to the territory. People complain about some of the decisions I make. Interesting, one of the most common complaints that I get today from people is this. Pastor Ryan, I don't like it when you talk bad about other religions. That's kind of interesting. I I wouldn't have expected that. I mean, there's a lot of things that I would get mad at me about before that. And it makes sense, though, when you think about the world that we live in. Everything in our world is tolerated except the intolerant. All are included except the exclusive. Christians have been accused of being narrow-minded, but I need you to understand, according to that scripture we just read, we're not narrow-minded. Our eyes have been open. Our minds have been open. We're not narrow-minded. We're narrow-gated. See, there's just a narrow road that not many choose. Statistically, based on research that has come out, there are many of you who have possibly wrestled with this idea. Well, we're right and everyone else is wrong. You know, maybe you've asked yourself, well, what if I had been born somewhere else? Would I just have grown up believing in some other tradition? Or maybe you've wondered, like, hey, you know, Pastor Ryan, who are you to say that you're right and everyone else is wrong? I need you to realize I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that. 
And he loves us enough to tell us the truth so that we can be saved. John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is that clear? It seems pretty clear. He says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. For people who didn't think he claimed to be God, he just said, if you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And that is pretty clear. And what I fear as a pastor is that some of you don't tell people about Jesus because in your soul, you're not yet convinced that he really is the only way to be saved. Maybe you've bought into the lie that, well, as long as people find meaning in life, as long as they find meaning, it's not my place to interfere with their situation. I want you to understand where I'm coming from is I want to interfere with your situation if your situation leads to damnation. This is going to be a little bit of a confrontational feeling message, just in case you're new to Generation Church and you're like, wow. Welcome. Welcome to the family. We're family here. We just keep it real. So I guess an important question for all of us is, do you believe Jesus or not? If you think there are many ways to be saved, then you don't believe Jesus. And I know that there are people who come to this church and they think in their minds, I just can't believe that God would send people to hell because they chose the wrong religion. And one, that's a gross oversimplification. Two, that means you don't believe Jesus. Here's what God says to his people, Exodus 20, verse 2. This is the first commandment that we commonly call it of the Ten Commandments. It says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Remember who I am, the God who already saved you before you even knew me. You must not have any other gods but me. You must not make for yourself an idol or any kind of an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Man, God, you seem kind of jealous. He's like, yes, exactly. I'm a jealous God. He tells us right up front, only me or nothing. But from the very beginning, God's people have struggled to listen to him. You go back to the time of Moses coming out of slavery in Egypt, and God told his people, I'm your God. I'm the only God. I want you to worship me and no other God. But from the beginning, God's people, they wanted to experience the benefits of the God who saves, but also mess around with other pagan gods. It's been going on for a long time. And so archaeologists actually found this. This Asherah pole, it's called. And this is something that you'll read about throughout the Old Testament, the Asherah pole. In the Bible, Asherah poles were first mentioned in Exodus 34. And God made his covenant that if the Israelites obey him, he will drive out their enemies who are living in the land of Canaan. But they must cut down the Asherah poles. These were part of the worship practices of the Canaanites who lived in that land. Deuteronomy 7, he repeats the command, don't mess around with those Asherah poles. Chapter 16, he commands the Israelites, and don't you go setting up any of your own Asherah poles either. So Asherah was this false god of fertility, and Baal was another false god that was worshipped by the Canaanites. In Judges 3, though, we read, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God, and they served the images of Baal 
and the Asherah poles. Now, why I show you the picture of this Asherah pole, because they have discovered many different kinds and, and versions of them around the Middle East. But this one, I think, is especially interesting because archaeologists and scholars believe that these different levels of this Asherah pole actually have a mix of images. This pole contains images that represent Asherah and Yahweh, the God of the Bible. God's people wanted to experience the benefits of being God's people, but they weren't solely devoted to God. They wanted to mess around and enjoy the pagan gods and the community that they had come into as well. And so they tried to mix Yahweh, the one true God, with false gods. And I saw this and I read about this and I said, wow, are a lot of Christians still doing that today? They call themselves Christians. They talk about the one true God of the Bible. They want to experience the benefits of salvation and unconditional love. But they also want to mess around with some other false gods. They want God and sex. They want God and cash. They want God and fame. They want the benefits of the one true loving God, but they also don't yet want to give up the other idols in their lives. It'd be nice if they could just kind of create their own version of God, mix the two together, have it their way. It makes me think of Burger King, you know, back in the 70s. You know, they, they started this famous slogan, have it your way. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. And a lot of people were like, that's right. I don't want pickles on my burger. Hold the pickles, please. You know, I think this mindset really has affected the way that we think about most things in life. As Americans, we love personalization. We love customization. And I think that people have taken this motto and applied it to God. And they say, you know, I want some parts of God. I like some pieces of the Bible, but I don't know if I like all of it. So, so I'm going to take the pieces I like and I'm going to leave out the parts that I don't like. Hold the judgment, hold damnation. Let's have universal salvation. All I want is religion that lets me have it my way. Have it my way, have it my way. I'll be my own God and have it my way. See, if pastoring doesn't work out, I could pursue Broadway. <laughs> Off Broadway, fine, okay. <laughs> and so I think there are a lot of Christians, they want God their way. Like, I don't, I don't really want you telling me what to do, but I will come to church when I need a little pick-me-up. I don't want you messing with my idols, but I like hearing about how Jesus loves me. This is not the God of the Bible. This is a false perception of a God that doesn't actually exist. God doesn't accept roommates, co-stars, or co-pilots. He only accepts the position of sole proprietor. He told you right up front, I'm a jealous God. I want you all to myself. And he's a good God to serve and to follow because he loves us unconditionally. I want to ask you today, do you have anything in your life that could be competing for the place of affection 
which only God should hold in your heart. Could there be any idols in your heart today? I think once in a while it's good for all Christians, myself included, to stop and evaluate my own heart. Are there any idols creeping into my life? Anything that I want more than God? Anything that I'm longing for more than God? Anything that's causing me to compromise what God has called me to? 1 John chapter 5, it says, Dear children, keep yourself from idols. And this is John, the disciple who Jesus loved. He was kind of like a grandpa to the early church. And he kind of says this the way that a loving grandpa would say, beloved children, little children. And in one translation, it says, keep yourself away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. A lot of Christians today, they have their own idols. They're not serving the God of the Bible, but rather the Burger King God which can lead to a whole type of counterfeit Christianity. There is such a thing that I, I think I should touch on quickly. It looks Christian, uses Christian words and names and phrases, but it's either polluted or diluted. There are people who think of themselves as followers of the one true God who are going to find out, unfortunately, that maybe they're not if you believe what the Bible says. And this has come from many false religions and corruptions of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we read about in our New Testament today. And the Bible warned us that that would happen, and it did happen. I'm going to read you 2 Corinthians 11:13. 13. It says that these people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. Right? They come in the name of Christ. They look like Christians. But I'm not surprised, he writes... Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. And so some false religions have polluted the gospel that says we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's God's grace. It's a free gift. You don't earn it. You can't boast about it. You just receive it by trusting Jesus. That's the pure gospel of the Bible. And then people have polluted it or diluted it. There are false religions that call themselves Christian or identified with Christian at times, but they've polluted or diluted the gospel. Mormonism has polluted the gospel. It says actually that there are many gods, that you can be God on par with Jesus himself. Uh, Jesus is good, but not, not enough to know Jesus. The Bible's not good enough by itself. You need extra stuff. You need extra doctrines that they've created. Uh, you don't really receive grace as a gift in Mormonism. Salvation is contingent on good deeds being done. There's actually some Catholics that have polluted the gospel, where their faith to save does not come through Jesus alone, but actual rituals and practices and traditions like infant baptism and confirmation and communion and confession. It's possible to pollute the gospel if you lose track of where salvation actually comes from by adding extra things to it. And then some people dilute the gospel. They water it down and they take the truth of it out like Jehovah's Witnesses. They teach that Jesus is not actually God. The Holy Spirit, they teach, is not actually a person. So they take that out as well as birthday parties and Christmas too. And then <laughs> there are Christians. There are Christians who go to Christian churches who dilute the actual 
gospel. I'm picking on all Christians today equally. Um, they don't actually accept all parts of the Bible. They don't accept, they don't accept the parts they don't like. Uh, they don't want to have to believe that Jesus is the only way to God. There are a lot of people that call themselves Christians, but then they say, well, I don't believe that he actually rose again. I think it's more of a metaphor, like he lives on in our hearts. Like that is a person who has diluted the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people who have attended churches their whole lives who are going to meet God and find out they're not in a good position with God, unfortunately. The Bible warns us about that so that we can be on guard. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. It's a tragic scene that Jesus gives us a little insight into, but he does it because he loves us and wants us to be able to guard against anything that would stop us from having a true relationship with him. He doesn't want us to hear those words. He doesn't want anyone to hear those words. So this warning comes out of love, not out of condemnation. It tells us there will be people who think they're right with God, but then they find out they're actually not. There's a big difference between calling yourself a Christian and actually being a new creation in Christ Jesus. All false religions substitute the truth of God's word for lies. And they take it and they twist the free gift of salvation and they turn it into something that you have to earn through good works. So ultimately, all religions boil down to two roads that everyone has to choose. There is the road of works and the road of grace. Works and grace. Works says, if you change, you can be saved. Whereas grace says, if you're saved, you will be changed. Work says changing results in salvation. Grace says salvation results in life change. The highway to hell, the wide highway to hell is paved by the religions of works. Works says you can do it. Whereas grace says God did it. People on the highway to hell, they say things like, I'm pretty much a good person. But people on the narrow road to life, they say, I was lost, but I've been rescued by a good Savior. Sounds very different. Both roads lead to God. You find this out when you read scripture, but only one road leads to life. Those who follow the narrow road to life, they meet God in Christ Jesus as a son or a daughter, coming home to your adoptive father. Those on the wide road to hell, they will meet God still stained by sin. And their meeting with God will be God as a judge. And the Bible talks about what theologians call the great white throne judgment. It says in Revelation 20, this talks about the end of time. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. And the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. In other words, no one's going to escape this moment who's not a Christian. 
I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. Doesn't matter how famous you are, how rich you are, how powerful you are, or how poor you are, how uneducated you are. Everyone will stand before God's throne. It says, the books were open, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. In other words, everyone who's ever lived and died will be there. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, this is a, this is a scene that's going to play out at a future date after Jesus returns. Christians are not going to experience the great white throne judgment. We're going to be judged by Jesus according to what we did in our life, and that will determine our reward, but our entrance into heaven has already been secured. But all non-believers who say, I'm pretty much a good person, are going to stand before God and experience the great white throne judgment where God opens up the books, and they're going to hear a recounting of their life, and the evidence will be overwhelming. The verdict of guilty will be undisputable. And all whose names are not written in the book of life, it'll be too late. And people who had all kinds of religious experiences up until that point, maybe they had gods or they worshiped themselves as God or they refused to believe in a God. In that moment, who will save them? I think about Judges 10, verse 14. God says this, go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in your time of distress. See, they're not going to be able to, is the point. So why do I talk bad about other religions? Because all false religions come from hell and lead back to hell. That's why. You guys got to realize this. Satan is the most tolerant being who has ever lived. He doesn't care what you do or believe as long as you stay on the wide road to hell. As long as you don't follow Jesus, the wide road to hell, it has room for any religion a man could come up with. Satan doesn't care if you're an Islamic jihadist or the super nicest Mormon in the whole world. As long as you don't recognize Jesus as your savior and trust him alone to save you. Man, He's okay with you finding pleasure. The devil doesn't care if you find money or sexual gratification or power or fame. He'll even help you get those things if it keeps you on the wide road to hell. So, yeah, I am talking bad about other religions because I believe Jesus when he said that they're all just various lanes on the wide road to hell. As Christians, do you really believe what Jesus said? That's what I want to ask you today. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, did he really mean that? I mean, remember when he was about to die on the cross and he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if there is any other way, take this cup of suffering from me. He's like, I don't want to have to do this, but not my will, your will be done. Do you think that if there was another way for us to be saved, God would have allowed his only begotten son in whom he was well pleased to be tortured and then die a criminal's death on a cross for our sins? There was no other way. What Jesus said was clear. And if you don't believe him, then you don't believe in him. If you're a Christian 
and you believe Jesus, that means two things for you. And I believe most of you are Christians. You believe in Jesus. So that means two things for you that I want to hit on as we close this message up. It means, first, you have to accept that at some point in your life, you could be persecuted for your faith. The world cannot tolerate your intolerance. And eventually, they'll let you know, won't they? The day is coming when just being identified as a Christian could put a target on your back. And it's good to remember, there was a point in Jesus' earthly ministry when many of his followers abandoned him. And he looked at his inner circle and he asked them point blank, are you going to leave me too? And I just want to repeat that question to all of us today. When the times get tough, are you going to leave Jesus too? Or like Peter, are you going to say, Lord, to whom else will we go? You alone have the words that lead to eternal life. You've got to accept, though, that persecution could come. And as a follower of Jesus, it doesn't prevent us from having to go through any difficult times or deal with people that might not like us because of our faith in Jesus Christ, who said, the gate is narrow. Second thing, I want to make sure you know, if you believe what Jesus said, you have to tell people how to be saved. You have to. I mean, if you knew that a group of people were in danger and on the path to destruction, could you just sit by and idly watch them head towards the cliff? I mean, no, I think all of us would want to step in and stop and warn people and tell them how to be saved. We want to prevent other people from experiencing the destruction that sin leads to. We want people to understand the good news that is available through Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4 through 7 says, God, our Savior, wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. And so if you knew someone was heading towards eternal separation from God, would you be willing to look them in the face and say, I respect you, I respect your opinions, but you're wrong. People might not like you if you say stuff like that. I mean, they might not like it, but I just want to suggest to you as a pastor that 100,000 years from now, when you're just starting to enjoy the good things of heaven, you won't regret any of the times that you might have upset someone with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might regret the times you didn't say anything. There are many religions, there are two roads, that lead to God, but there's only one way to life. So I want to just kind of close with this. Here's the question that really matters. How do I know I'm on the narrow road to life? I mean, that's a good question. If you just listen to this sermon and you haven't asked yourself that question, like you got to check your pulse right now because you just need to make sure, right? You're like, I don't want to be one of those people that hears, well, I never knew you. I mean, I ask myself that question when I read that passage and I'm a pastor. So how do I know I'm on the narrow road to life? First, you admit you're a sinner and unable to save yourself. Second, you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose again. Third, 
You trust him to save you. You believe that salvation is a gift and you cannot earn it. Fourth, nothing else. Don't pollute it. Don't dilute it. That's it. There's only one way to life. The good news about Christianity and the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it is inclusively exclusive. What it means is that whosoever believes shall be saved. It doesn't matter where you come from, what language you speak, your skin color, how much you make. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you're doing right this moment. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus and accepts him as Lord and Savior will be saved. Anyone can join the narrow road to life. Now, Jesus said that some people won't find it. In fact, he said few out of all the people who've ever lived will actually choose it. The fact that we chose the narrow road to life doesn't make us better than anyone else. We're not bragging on ourselves. It's not because we're smart. It's just that we chose to trust the Savior, the one who says, I'm the only way to God. We've chosen to trust him, and it's not by our own good deeds. We didn't deserve it. We don't earn it. We receive this as a free gift that comes through faith in Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so we receive it humbly. Um, we are humble in the act of receiving this gift of grace and walking out our lives following Jesus. There's a humility that comes knowing that, man, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to have my name written in the book of life. But then there's also got to be a strength and a confidence in your soul, knowing that, man, what Jesus said is true. And I believe him that there is no other way to be saved. And I've got to tell people about that because I love them. Even if that upsets the cart with them a little bit, it's worth it because I want them to have the opportunity to experience the good things that I've experienced because I love them. Not because I think I'm better than them. I just love them, and I want them to be saved too. That's what I wanted to talk about today. I pray that we would receive this message. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. God, we thank you so much for your word, even when it leads us to have difficult conversations that can be intense and can challenge us to think of things in a new way. Lord, I thank you that the hard truth that you spoke to us came from a heart of unconditional love, the love of a father who doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to be saved. God, you've been patient and you've delayed so that more people would have a chance to receive Jesus Christ. And I pray that today we wouldn't take for granted our opportunity to share the good news with other people and tell them about how to join the narrow road that leads to salvation through Jesus. And I just want to talk for a moment to anyone that might be here today who says, I want to be saved. I want to join the narrow road to life, and I haven't done that yet. Today, I want to put God alone at the highest place of honor in my heart. I want to trust him to save me. I want to take away all other idols and remove them from my heart. I'm going to trust Jesus to save me alone. If that's you and you're ready to accept him today, you say, I want to be saved. I want to know my name's written in the book of life. Then pray this prayer with me right now, wherever you're at. Just pray in your heart and agree with me. Just say, God, I need you, and I am a sinner, and I can't save myself. I believe that Jesus lived as the Son of God 
fully God and fully man, that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose again. I'm gonna accept the free gift of salvation that you're offering me and I know I don't deserve it, but I receive it. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for leading me. In Jesus' name, amen.